Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Amen. All right, so let me give you a little uh, pop quiz. There, there's a, in, the fr- in the seat back in front of you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. There is no pop quiz. Um, I just wanted to ask, can any of you guys remember legacy's definition for family? Family is... Oh, you guys just bless my heart in such a big way. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. Now, let's all say it together. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. We've talked a a lot about why we've come up with a corporate definition. And the reason for that is because everybody approaches church and hears us say family, and then they bring their own definition to the table. So if if you've had a great experience with family, you have great expectations. If you've had a terrible experience with family, you're like, I'm getting out of this church with the quickness. I don't want family. I'm just trying to worship, you know. So we came up with a corporate definition inspired by the Holy Spirit to declare this is what family is. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. One more time. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. Amen. So we love to be loved. I do. How many of you guys just love to be loved? I love to be loved. I love to be around people who cause me to feel loved. How about you? That's one of the reasons I love to come to church here. Because I know I'm going to interact with people who are going to love on me. Not on the basis of the things that I've done wrong. Not on the basis of the bad things that they've heard about me. But they're going to love on me in accordance to how God feels about me. And in accordance to what my purpose is in the kingdom of heaven. And that just feels great, doesn't it? I love to be loved. How about you? But you know what we also must love? To be developed. I love to be loved. I mean, I love it, man. It's awesome. Like when I come in and it's like, family. I love to be loved. But a big part of family is also being discipled. So as passionate as we are about being loved, we must become equally as passionate about being discipled. All right, I'm, I'm going to say it again. I just want to, some foundation. We have to get this. As passionate as we are about receiving love. Oh, I love it. It feels so good. I love that, um, you know, ooey gooey, you know, put on the snuggie by the fire kind of love. I know. I did too. I just thought about it. But that's family right there. You know, it's like, ah, more apple pie. You know, refrigerator privileges, you know, it's awesome, right? Don't got to brush my teeth all day kind of family love. (laughs) You know, as passionate as we are about that, we also need to be equally as passionate about being developed, about being discipled, right? Now, let me me say it from um, another perspective. Uh, As much as we love to love, we must also love to develop. What I mean by that is, I know some of us have this uh, personality or propensity 
to love people unequivocally without a filter and we love them before they deserve it and we love them because we know that God loves them and we grab them by the face and we look at them in the eye and we say, you belong. And we're passionate about that. We are passionate about people coming in here off the streets and maybe they've you know, been down on their luck and they need a hug and a handshake and somebody look at, look at them in the eye and say something like that. But as passionate as we are about loving people, we need to become equally as passionate about developing people. Okay, I know sometimes it's like really, really easy to do this thing over here where it's like, man, everybody just needs love. And we do, right? Because we know that the greatest of these, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is, you guys help me, it's love, right? We know that love is the most powerful force in the universe, like, love can raise the dead. Love is the most supernatural miracle. Love is so supernatural. When we operate in God's love, we're operating in the supernatural. Right? We can be passionate about loving people, but we must become equally as passionate about discipling people, about developing people, about seeing people grow into their God purpose. And this is the culmination of what our definition of family is. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. So it's all about love and development. So here's what family is about, okay? Family is about love and discipleship. Family is about unconditional acceptance and about radical development. You guys like that? So that's what family is. Family is about unconditional acceptance and radical development. So you get to come in as you are. Doesn't matter what you've gone through. Doesn't matter where you were last night. Doesn't matter what you did a decade ago. Like we're, we're going to love you. All right. But you don't get to stay the same. You know why? Because God has an intent to transform you into his image, which is what Jesus says to all of us as he invites us off of our boats. When he says, come and follow me and I will make you right. I will make you. That's Jesus taking personal responsibility to transform you into the disciple that you're called to become. You see what I'm saying? So like, Jesus, if you follow Jesus, here's what's going to happen. You're guaranteed to be transformed. And guess into whose image? His. Into his image. So that's the whole potter's wheel illustration. Like he's going to put his thumb in you and he's going to work out those hard places until you become more beautiful from the inside out to the world. That, that's family. That's, that's the discipleship journey. And so we've got to be passionate about our churches being friendly, about our churches being family, about our churches being um, loving. But we've also got to become equally as passionate about our churches becoming uh, developmental centers for world changers. I'll tell you guys a story. A few years ago, I was on a prayer walk. You guys know I like prayer walks. I really enjoy doing prayer walks. And I was just thinking to myself, I said, Lord, am I really doing the best thing that I could be doing for my life? Have you ever asked the Lord that question before, like about your career, about where you live, about your friend group or whatever? And I was thinking about it in terms of uh, being a pastor. I was thinking, you know, is this really the best way for me to make an impact on the world? 
You know, maybe for some of you guys, maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a musician. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like this with the Lord before. I would encourage you to try it. It's pretty effective and fun, all right? And so I'm thinking to myself, should I really be a pastor? You know, I should probably be a missionary. You guys don't know how many times I've been like just hit with so much guilt on a prayer walk and said, Lord, I own a house. <laughs> I have a car. I have a minivan now. Like I'm a real adult. I should sell it all and move to the nations. For some people, that's the best thing for them to do with their lives, but not for everybody. You know, not for everybody. And so I'm walking and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, should I sell everything? Should I, should I leave everything? Should, should I, you know, pack up the kids and we move back to India? Uh, you know, is that the best thing? And I just felt like the Lord, you know, affirmed me and what I was currently doing, saying, no, no, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're learning exactly what I want to teach you. You are a pastor. You're called to be a pastor. You need to learn how to do family. And then he asked me, he said, why do you think you became a pastor? And I said, real quick, I said, God, it's because I believe that the local church is the greatest incubator of personal destiny that exists on planet Earth. I am a pastor. This is what I said to the Lord. I want to share it with you. This is important. You can write it down. The local church is the greatest incubator of personal destiny that exists on planet Earth. The local church is the greatest incubator of personal destiny that exists on planet Earth. What you can get out of the local church, you cannot get on a podcast. I can promise you. What you can get out of the local church, you cannot get on a course. Right? You can't. You, I don't care if you read 100 books a year. You can't get just from books sitting in isolation what you can get from the local church and community. It, you cannot. There is something about gathering, not forsaking the assembly, you know, online, however it looks in this season. There is something about a commitment to a local church and giving yourself over to the Lord and to a family so that you can be shaped into the person that God's called you to become. And I've never seen a more effectual developmental center like the local church, which is why I would always encourage everybody to be a part of a local church. Even if you didn't like it, still being a part of it would be better for your destiny. <laughs> in, in, in some ways, would actually be better for you that you didn't like it. Because then you would have to love people that offend you. And then you'd have to learn how to submit to somebody you disagree with. I shouldn't have said that. Submission, that's a cuss word for us. We cannot say that. You know... So, JK, I, I was thinking how Mama Heidi, you know, she always says, love looks like something. And in the local church, one of the primary expressions of love is discipleship. One of the primary expressions of love is discipleship. And that means passionately and strategically helping people grow into their God-given purpose. And to accomplish this goal, we need more than a good motive. We need a really great method to accomplish this goal. Love as a motive is not enough. We really need a, we need a, we need a methodology, right? It's great to have the Holy Spirit, but we also need a holy structure, right? Because the Spirit will bring us our substance, 
but the structure will bring us our systems so that we can strategically, intentionally, and passionately develop people into, into their purpose. Is, is this like too like, uh, like churchy for Sunday morning? <laughs> All right. So I was, I was thinking this week, I was like, man, how do we find, like, I'm, I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit, but how do we find that holy structure? And then it dawned on me, um, he's the only one who can. Yeah. N- n- not really, I just wanted to work that in. And, but, but truly, Jesus, through the Bible, has given us not only the Holy Spirit, but he's also given us the holy structure, right? Any answer we need for the problems that we face today can be found through Scripture with prayer. It, it can. He's the only one. We've received it through the Bible. Amen. So I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4. And as you guys have that queued up, I just want to give a disclaimer. I am not presenting this today as though we have it all figured out. I am presenting this today as some R&D, research and development. And I'm presenting it as a, sort of a prophetic push from the Lord for an invitation that he would have for our whole church to journey into. Okay? So sometimes, honestly, sometimes, um, it's really, really good to preach from reminders. I think, honestly, for young preachers, if you want to learn how to preach well, just about 80 to 90% of your messages can be reminders, and they'll be awesome. You don't always have to bring revelation. Okay? But... There are times in which God will leave you a breadcrumb trail, you know, that whole Hansel and Gretel thing. And you're like, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just following the breadcrumbs. I don't know what's next, but I know I'm being nourished. I don't know where this is going to lead me, but I know it's sustaining me. So I'm going to continue to follow the trail, right? It's like uh, uh, Psalm says, he is a light unto our path. He's a lamp unto our feet. And, and we get so frustrated sometimes with the Lord because we're not walking with an illuminated path all the way to our destination. But he didn't say he was going to light the path all the way to the finish line. He just said the next step will be illuminated because we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, right? So as we step out, it's like we get a little bit more. So I am stepping out with this today, okay? Two people said okay. So the rest of you guys, I don't know how, if you're feeling safe or not, but just check in with yourself and then ask the Lord. You'll be fine. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 and 11 through 16. Therefore it says, when he ascended, key, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives And he, who is he? Everybody say Jesus. Gave gifts to men. How many of you guys like gifts? Woo, I like gifts. I I mean, I, I think all the love languages are honestly my love language. I like gifts, particularly expensive gifts, luxury items, you know. I love them. Live for them, you know. But I like gifts. So one of the things I want to point out right away is, is that if Jesus has a gift for you, do you want it? (laughs) I remember you said yes to that. (laughs) If God has a gift for you, why wouldn't we want it, right? 
And so we see here that Jesus gives gifts to humanity, right? It's, it's men and women. And he gave, okay, what are the gifts? What did he give to us? He gave the apostles. Oh, it's getting weird now. The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to, so we're getting a job description now, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul writes so many run-on sentences. <laughs> so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Man, I think our world needs a little bit of that right now. You turn on the news for 10 minutes over the last six months, tossing to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by all the cunning schemes. Are we over here this week? We're over there this week. We're over here. We're being blown about by every wind. There's a steadfastness that comes as a result of receiving God's gifts. Yes. Amen? By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, there's that beautiful four-letter word again, love. Just that's that's the ties it up all in love because if it ain't if it ain't got love, it's working with the wrong motive. You know, he says, okay, it's tied all up in love. We we have to remember that. So the message title for today is God's gifts for my growth. God's gifts for my growth. God's gifts for my growth. And one of the things I want to point out is where I, I stop there. Uh, for a moment, and looking at the word ascension. So we know that Jesus ascended uh, 40 days after he resurrected. Amen? And then he gave, uh, God gave the Holy Spirit 50 days after he resurrected on the day of Pentecost, right? And on that 40th day, we read about this in Acts chapter 1. That's your homework. Jesus is there. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's on the hill, and uh, some scholars believe they're 500 people or so uh, there, which is always confusing to think that 500 were on the hill, but only 120 were in the upper room. There were, you know, 480 people or something, uh, 380 people who couldn't, couldn't tarry. I don't know if that does anything for you guys, but I'm like, I want to be one of the 120. I will tarry. I'm a warrior. I don't know. So anyways, that's a sidebar. Um, you know, so they see Jesus, right? And maybe that, was though, that, that were those who doubted. Because even in Matthew chapter 28, you see that they surround Jesus and it says that they worshiped him. But then there were some who doubted. Maybe 380 people were doubting. I don't know. I don't know, okay? But I do know that Jesus ascended up to whom? The Father, right? And as he is ascending, he is giving uh, some parting promises, uh, to say it differently, he's giving some parting gifts. Have you ever went on a long trip and, you know, you gave your host some gifts on your way out the door? Has anybody ever came in and, you know, seen you, you know, after long, and you're like, you're leaving, here's some gifts. 
right? This is super customary to do with people that you love. You, you're, you're giving some parting gifts. And Jesus, in a sense, is giving his church some parting gifts. And he's saying, I'm getting ready to ascend up to the Father, and I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to hang out there for 10 days because the Father has a gift for you. And it's his spirit. Whoa, I want that gift, right? Yeah, let's do it. And then Paul says is that as he ascended, not only did Jesus remind them of the gifts they would receive from the Father, but Jesus himself releases a parting gift. And that parting gift is the leadership of the church that he is building. I would think that is a pretty significant gift that Jesus has given the church if it was one of the last gifts that he gave to his disciples prior to his ascension. So I know that today a lot of times we struggle with recognizing how essential leadership is in our life. But according to God, through the person of Jesus, Jesus is ascending in his you know, his, his, his glorified body, he's going up to heaven. And one of the last things he does is he's like, here's how I'm going to lead my church. Here's how I'm going to govern my church. Because in Matthew chapter 16, he says, hey, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, right? And so we know that Jesus says that, says that to Peter after Peter says, he's, he's answering a question. Jesus is like, who do men say that I am? And, and, and Peter's like, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And Jesus is like, yes, you are right. And I say to you, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And there's this argument among scholars on what Jesus was referring to. Was he talking about Peter being installed as the first pope? Or was he, talk, or was he talking about the revelation that Peter received that Jesus was actually the Christ? And there's an argument over it. Oh, no, it's because Peter was the first pastor of the first church, which he was. He gave the first sermon in Acts chapter 2 of the first church after the Holy Spirit was poured out and flooded into the streets. Right? We know that is the case. Was it the revelation? No, it was both. Because a revelation without a, without a man or a woman, without a leader to carry it, is incomplete. But a man or a woman or a leader without a revelation is incomplete. There needs to be both, and that's the way that Jesus has chosen to build his church. It's a mystery to me. It's a head-scratcher for me, too. You know, I would think he would choose to do it a different way. But God has always received so much glory by advancing his kingdom through human beings. Look at it. Even in the beginning, the Garden of Eden, he could have destroyed Satan any way he wanted to. He's God. Right? Only he can. Right? But instead of destroying Satan himself, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create somebody in my image so that every time Satan is, you know, slithering around, he can be reminded of who he got cast out of heaven by. By my creation that bears my image. And here's what I'm going to commission them to do. To bruise your head. So God has always received great glory uh, through advancing the kingdom of God through, through human people. And, and this is what he does when he starts the church. He's like, here's how we're going to establish the church. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the substance. But I'm, I'm going to also give you a holy structure. I'm going to give you a system. And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you apostles and prophets. I'm going to give you evangelists and shepherds, which is pastors. And then I'm going to give you teachers. Teachers. 
Really, this is a blessing for us, to be honest with you, because here's what's happening through this, is that Jesus is blessing the church with himself. Because if you look at the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, you will see that each and every one of those offices or those gifts are an expression, a manifestation of the ministry of Jesus. So since Jesus wasn't going to be here personally, he said, I'm going to establish these leaders, and then I'm going to work through their different giftings so that I can remain as the head of the church. Is this, is this making sense? Does this feel like a Bible study? Sunday morning. Is it helping at all? Right? And so what we call this is we call this the five-fold ministry. Right? And every now and then when my kids get in trouble, they get some five-fold ministries. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I don't hit my kids with my hand. That is a job for the wooden spoon. Hashtag pampered chef. I'm, I'm only joking, okay? I don't beat my kids, but they do get disciplined, and I have Bible for that, so stay out of my business. So, five-fold ministry. Five-fold ministry. Uh, if you look at it like a hand, right, um, you can look at it like this is how you remember it. Uh, the, the apostle is the thumb. You know, it's like, it's, it's sort of, it, you know, people who are apostles, they tend to operate in all of the giftings in different seasons of their life. And a lot of times people will struggle to pin them down as to which gift that they are because of their apostolic gifting is very diverse. So in some seasons, they'll be a teacher. In other seasons, they'll be an evangelist. And then they'll grow into that ministry of being an apostolic person, uh, an apostle. Uh, the, the, this finger here is the prophet, right? It points the way. Hey, we're going that way. The evangelist, it reaches the furthest, right? Uh, the shepherd, the ring finger, oh, the, the ooey-gooey, mushy-gussy, counseling, couch, snuggy by the fireplace, brown sugar, cinnamon, pop-tart. You know, it's like, hey, doesn't that give you that home feeling? Hey, that's that pastoral feeling right there. Hashtag, Woo. I was thinking about it now. It's good. The pinky, the, the teacher, we wouldn't, we wouldn't hold, be able to hold it all together without the truth, without, without the theology, without the right doctrine, just brings it all together and helps us hold it all together. That's a way that you can remember the fivefold ministry. But what this is, it's a quintessential, meaning five, manifestation of the ministry of Jesus through human leaders. Okay, so Jesus establishes this as the foundation of his church. Now, that doesn't mean that ultimately human leaders are in charge of the church because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, this is my thing. I got the keys. This ain't your house. This is my house. I will build it up as I see fit. Amen. Jesus is the head of the church. And we know that through Colossians chapter one, verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church which is his body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. We have to understand that the, the, the beginning of the church is God building on Jesus. Okay, so the church is happening because the father has chosen to build on the son. And I want to point to the fact that that's family language is that the Father has chosen to build on the Son, and then Jesus chooses to build on these leaders, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. 
And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, this is a, kind of a awkward and weird teaching because I don't know very many folks who have grown up in a church environment in which the five-fold ministry, uh, there's a big deal made out of that, uh, or in which an apostolic style ministry or house that there's a big deal made out of that. But all throughout the scripture, there is a really big deal made out of that because that is the way that God chose to lead and govern the churches in the New Testament. And I'll, I'm going to prove that to you. So how many of you guys know an apostle? Not Probably not very many of you, a few of you. I know a couple, you know. How many of you guys know a prophet? A couple of us, right? A couple more. Look at that. That's awesome. Some of you guys come from Pentecostal backgrounds like me. Uh, so you know prophets. Uh, how many of you guys know a pastor? Oh, man, everybody knows a pastor, right? We all know pastors. And, and it's, it's really amazing because we're running on a lot of revelation about the ministry of the pastor. We're, we, we are. We're running on... Uh, 500 years, actually, uh, in, in a big way, that was through Luther and the Reformation. And we, we had this, we had this uh, revelation that, that every single believer was a minister, right? And so we see this, this pastoral office that is emerging as people are receiving ministry. But we don't so much see the ministry of the apostle and the prophet shining through. But if you look at the Bible, you'll notice that there is only one reference to a person being a pastor, and that is Jesus in this very same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. So all throughout the New Testament, you will not read any scriptures about people pastoring churches as pastor so-and-so. But in the New Testament, there are over 100 references to apostles, which refer to over two dozen people, one of whom is a woman. So I just, I'm trying to make a case here, guys, is that we have been running on this revelation of pastors and, and how great pastors are, and they are, and they're not secondary, and they're not replaceable, and they are super important because I want to be loved on. I need inner healing. I want counseling. I want marriage counseling. You know, I want to learn how to become a better dad. Right? We need pastors. I need somebody to go to when my heart is hurting. You know? But you know what we also need? We need some apostles and prophets. Because, see, the ministry of the pastor is really to gather and to keep. They're a shepherd. So their goal is to gather and to keep everybody together. Come on, stay, stay here, stay together, be healthy. Let me take you to a pasture where you can be healthy. But see, that is not the gifting of the apostle. The gifting of the apostle is to train and to send. So we're running on this revelation of the pastor, and it's so influenced our churches that our churches, at least in the West, have been these places that we go on Sunday to come and see. So we come here and we come and see. But with more prevalence of the apostolic and the prophetic ministries alive in our midst, we're going to have more train and deploy. And there's a reason for that, because if you train and deploy everybody, who's going to come back on Sunday? Who's going to greet at the door? Who's going to make the coffee? You know, what I feel like God is asking us to do is to bring in these apostolic elements into our house, 
I'm speaking this prophetically, is to bring these apostolic elements into our house and have a greater value for training in sin, not just holding a value for come and see. Like our goal cannot be to get you to stay here. Because we cannot adopt a goal that may or may not be God's. Some of you guys in here are called to be pastors. There's a lot of you guys. And I'm not necessarily saying you're supposed to be in full-time ministry. But you are called to, uh, you know, a pastoral reflection of ministry. And that you sit with people and you love on them. We're learning through the life languages test that many people in America are responders. And they love to sit with people. Some of you guys are called to that. Can I tell you guys, I am not the best at that. Everybody's like, duh, we already knew that. <laughs> I ask you for coffee. You still have not responded. <laughs> it's not my primary gifting. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I can do it. I can pastor, but I am nowhere near as good at it as Michelle. Like Michelle's way better. I am nowhere near as good at it as my wife. She's way better. But we're, we're running on this revelation in the church where it's like the pastor has to do everything. And this is actually why I tithe, is that I pay him to live my Christian life for me. Or her, or whatever, you know. It's like, hey, go talk to God and come back down the mountain and tell us what he said. Right? But the original invitation from the Father was, get everybody Come up on the mountain and meet with me. And they're like, whoa, way too scary. Too much thunder, too much lightning, too much noise. No thanks. Moses, you go up. We'll just do whatever you say. But while you're away, we're going to fashion an idol out of a golden calf. And that's what happens when you start outsourcing your responsibility to be intimate with God for yourself. When you outsource your intimacy... To spiritual leaders, what you end up doing is embracing idolatry. Because we're not getting the personal revelation that we say we've been running on for 500 years because we're saying, hey, that person's called to that. I'm not called to that. I'm just punching my religious time clock. I am not actually going to be involved. I'm not actually going to serve. I'm not actually going to be a part of a grow group. I'm not actually going to register for Legacy Weekend. Yes, you are because it's going to be awesome. We already got it in the works. I'm not actually going to do all those things. I'm good. I'm just going to enjoy from a distance. Well, you know what you're not going to do if you embrace that attitude? Mature. You're not going to mature. And I'm going to prove it to you because I have literally one minute and I'm going to read ten points. <laughs> Fifty seconds now. Stop laughing. It's going to happen. Okay, so what I want you to do, I'm going to give you a little homework. I am going to cruise through this, and I'm going to go over the 43 seconds, but it's just going to be barely. Ephesians chapter 4, okay? Look, I'm doing my best. I'm so sorry. I love you. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, I just extracted 10 components, and I, I'm, I'm like, like, this is off the top of my head. This is 10 aspects of an apostolic house. You like that alliteration right there? That was, man, go. I'm called to be a preacher. Um, Jesus, so Jesus gives his church the fivefold ministry for the functions of these ten components. Uh, number one is to equip, right? The Greek word there means to bring to a condition of fitness. 
So what you are called to do as part of an apostolic community is to equip or to be equipped. One or the other. Point two. Told you I was moving fast. For what reason? For the work. Everybody say work. Dang, that's a dangerous word, isn't it? For the work of what? The ministry. You know what the ministry is? It's a Greek word, diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon, and it paints a picture. It's an illustration. You know what the illustration is? It's waiting tables. So Ephesians chapter 4, God's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my church qualified and credentialed human leadership, and here's what they're going to be called to do. They're going to be called to equip you for the purpose of becoming healthy to wait tables. I don't want to wait tables. I didn't make up the system. Like, I don't, you know, I don't write them. I just read them. It's just like. All right. So let me just say this. If you're not serving, you're not developing. Just I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it out there with boldness, too. If you're not serving, you're not developing. I can promise you. And whatever, like, whatever uh, area of the ministry that seems the most difficult, you'll get most development out of what's most difficult. So if you're like, man, I really want to grow, but I'm going to ease into it because I'm super friendly. So welcome bar would be easy. But I don't like parking cars, you know, or whatever. Go park the cars when we open back up. I don't, you know, go serve in the kids ministry. Do whatever you need to do to develop most. Point three is this. Here's, it's so the church is built up. This is architecture imagery right here. When you serve, you build the church of Jesus. Point four, until we all reach unity. So when we serve, we contribute towards unity, which is what the church, hello, could really use right now. Point five, and maturity and completeness as disciples. When we do this, we are transformed into healthy, whole, mature world changers. Point six, into the stature of Jesus. So this becomes our standard for discipleship. Your standard for discipleship is nobody on staff. It's no, it's not, it ain't me. It ain't my wife. It ain't anybody who's paid or unpaid in any position or volunteer. It ain't, we're not the standard. The standard is Jesus. That into the stature of Jesus. Number seven is, so that I'm no longer an infant. Who's an infant? Here's how you know. They're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and new teaching. Yep. And I, here's what I've noticed. Here, here's, when, here's when people start getting tossed to and fro. And I mean, they get slammed to and fro when they leave church. I'm just keeping it real. I've been in ministry for 15 years, and I've watched it time and time again, and I cannot testify to you. One, I'm not, I don't know your story, okay? So this ain't no shame to you. I cannot tell you of one time in which somebody says, I am done with church. I'm not talking legacy. I'm talking church. I'm done with church. I'm done with it. And they got better. Or they grew more like Jesus. Or they became more loving. Or they embodied more of the fruit of the Spirit. Or they stepped further into their purpose. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not saying it can't happen. I just personally haven't experienced it. So, just keeping it real. Keeping it 100. Number eight. Instead, we speak the truth in love. Now, this is about healthy confrontation. This is about raising our voice. This is about speaking up. This is about boldness and courage. This is about adherence to Scripture in the midst of the tossing to and fro and every new wind of doctrine and everything that comes along that vies for our attention or says this is the better way and you say no but the Bible says 
Number nine, so that we grow up and be mature as disciples. In um, point five, it was as disciples. And this one is as disciples in point 10. As everyone does the work with the right motive. As everyone does the work with the right motive. We love to be loved, but we must also love to develop. And we love loving, but we must also ourselves love to develop others. And that is family. So I realized, like, honestly, I didn't plan on going through those 10 points like super duper quick or, or excuse me, long. I wasn't going to give you guys long points. But if you wrote them down or didn't write them down, I'll post them on Instagram in my story or something so you can snag them from there. Okay. Grace has got you. That's why we have our own social media team here. Hallelujah. Kelly does it. Yeah, great. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. Yes. So we're not just a ministry. We are a Amen. We're a family. And this is components of doing family well. Guys, we don't have it all figured out. I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have it all figured out, and it's all good. You know why? Because we depend more upon the strength of Jesus. We depend more upon the grace of Jesus. We depend more upon the Spirit of God. And we're going to follow the Spirit of God here at Legacy. We are going to follow passionately the Spirit of God. And we are never turning back. We're never turning around. We're never going to unhand Jesus. We're never going to let go of Jesus. We're just going to say, this is all there is for us. And wherever you want to lead us, God, we're going to follow. And I believe, guys, that we are pioneering something for our generation within the realm of family. I believe it with everything in, it, in me. We've had prophetic words about it. We have scripture for it. We are a house that is going to pioneer into the future for our part of the church. We are. And, and, and so, you know, some of this is not like an index card of takeaways. But a lot of this, I believe, God is, guys, is an invitation from God. So will you guys follow with me? Amen. Let's stand up and pray. Then we'll have Grace up and she's going to um, help us with offering and close us out. We didn't match on purpose today. That was just serendipitous but spirit we know so lord i just pray over each and every one of us these two very simple points that if we don't love loving people god that you would move our hearts some of us have forgotten how loved we are and lord we repent today of our resistance of being loved and we choose to lower the walls and let the holy spirit in we choose today to let the father in to let let our Holy Father in to speak affirmation and affection to say, you are loved. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are important in my kingdom. You have a purpose. And I have designed you to reign with Jesus. Lord, we receive that today. And we thank you, God, for that. And Lord, I also pray that we would love to disciple. That we would love to be developers. That we would love to be developed. That you'd, that you'd press this DNA into this family to such an extent that people would testify and say, I grew into who I was called to become when I joined the family at Legacy. People mined the gold out of my heart. And, and their prophetic words and prayers and hospitality were like wind in my sails. And they pushed me forward. And they didn't just hold me accountable to keep me from sin. They held me accountable to my purpose. They didn't let me slack off. They didn't let me shrink back. They pushed me to the altar when I was tempted to say, "Now nah, I'm good for the day. 
No, they pushed me into the presence of God and they helped me to become all that I was called to become. So we receive this. I receive this as an invitation from you, Lord. And as a church, can we all just say amen and receive this together? Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.